God moved heaven and earth on your behalf, Christian. He did more than that. He gave his only son. He did not spare his only begotten son. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Oh, Lord, Father, Jesus prayed that the world might know that the love you have for me, you have for them. To be in Christ is to be in a position of no condemnation. To be in Christ is to be in that inseparable love condition forever. Today, tomorrow, not just when you're hearing a sermon on it, but when you're facing the troubles and the tribulations of life. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue our study of the book of Romans. and Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, Inseparable Love. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and look at verse 8. Because this book, uh, 13 chapters, 3, 4, 5 times, he goes into some of the real affliction, some of the real trouble that had come into his life and uh, explains it. But verse 8 of the first chapter gets to the point. We don't want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, our tribulation, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Who's that writing? That's Paul. I don't want you to be unaware, he said, of the affliction that we were under. We were burdened excessively so that we despaired even of life. God wants us to know that that was the common lot of even the great apostle. Now, we're not exempt, and in fact, we've been promised tribulation. We've seen, though, in chapter 8 that the same Paul who lived that said, it's not worth comparing to the glory that's to be revealed to us. We've seen that it isn't just pointless. Suffering in this life and tribulation that God allows in our lives is not without purpose. It is the pains of childbirth. And Jesus said, when a woman is in travail, she has sorrow. But when the birth occurs, she forgets her affliction. She forgets her tribulation for joy. And the Scripture says that this suffering, Romans 8 tells us that this suffering is with great purpose. It is the pains of childbirth. But having said all that, now Paul comes to the close of the chapter and he says, don't ever think, don't ever think that trouble, distress, pressure, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, don't ever think that these things separate you from the love of God. Nothing can drive a wedge between you and God. Nothing can separate or even begin to compromise or cast a shadow on God's love for you. And I'll tell you what, it never need shake our assurance of that. Now, the emphasis here is not that. The emphasis is not that our confidence in God's love need not be shaken. The emphasis is what? God's love for us is not shaken. That's the foundation. The objective love of God for us is not changed. 
through the changing circumstances of life. That's the truth of it. But I'll tell you this, we don't have to worry about it either. Our subjective grasp of that can be unshakable. I mean, Paul has become convinced of these things. We're going to see, notice the term he uses in verse 38. And because he has really gotten a hold of it, he's able to communicate it to us. And I'll say this, you're a Christian, nothing can separate you from the love of God. The more you understand that, the more you grasp that, the more you'll be a blessing to others, the more you'll be usable to him. And Paul went through plenty so that he might be a source of comfort to others. And that's really the thesis of Second Corinthians, the whole book. He said, we've been under a lot of affliction so that we might experience a lot of his comfort and pass it on to those who are in affliction. Job is the one who said, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Paul is the one who wrote Romans 8. Our Lord says in Revelation when he speaks as the risen Christ to the church of Smyrna undergoing real trouble, he says, I know, I know the tribulation you're going to suffer. Aren't you glad to know that it is our sympathetic high priest that he's just mentioned who is praying for us, who says, I know the trouble you're under. That's verse 9 of Revelation 2. Verse 10 says, do not fear. Do not fear the things that are about to come upon you. I know them. Don't fear them. The one interceding for you, the one praying for you, he knows all about it. Now, let's look at it. Let's look at it. There is uh, nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. No pressure, no distress, no narrowing, no circumstance that maybe makes you feel like no one understands. There is one who understands. And don't ever begin to think that his love for you has changed one whit. When you have the heartache, perhaps, of a wayward child and nothing else seems to even be able to enter your mind but that, God hasn't quit loving you. When you face the pain of a faithless spouse, or when you hear that fear just kind of going right into you as you hear the dreaded diagnosis from the doctor, or whatever it is that would tempt you to think, God has forgotten me or doesn't love me. The Scripture says nothing like that. Could these things separate us? No way. No way. When you feel pressured, when you feel financial pressure, when there seems to be nowhere to turn, God hasn't quit loving you. In fact, in fact, notice he goes on here and says, tribulation, distress, persecution, there are things that will come to us because we are his children. He didn't call us to a life of ease and comfort. He called us to a life of hardship. And Jesus said, if they loved me, they'll love you. But if they hated me, they'll hate you. Don't expect that the slave will get better treatment than his master. So our Lord who called us to follow him knows all about it. And his love for us is never changed in one whit by the various ups and downs. And particularly, as we think of it here and as Paul describes it, the downs of circumstantial 
uh, living. Overt persecution. Notice he uses that term. Persecution. It's very real today in many places. We don't know much about it in America, but a student of history, a student of the Bible, a student of the world today even, will be shocked to realize the fact that we have faced very little in North America. But you look around the world, and the Scripture says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. Don't think there's something strange happening to you. I'm quoting 1 Peter 4. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, glorify God. Take it as an honor to share in His sufferings. I think of uh, the apostles when they were released out of jail and they'd been persecuted and beaten for the sake of Christ in Acts 5. We're told that when they were released, they rejoiced that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for His name. That's the perspective that we're to have as Christians. Notice, He doesn't stop there either. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, food, clothing. You mean to say that a Christian might even be in famine or nakedness? Yeah. Do you think God loves His suffering ones any the less? If you, as a parent, see your child under real stress or suffering or going through a time of real trouble, do you love them the less? Of course not. In fact, that draws your heart of love toward them. If we, being evil, can understand that, just think about the God who sent His Son to die on our behalf. Oh, don't think anything can separate you from His love. And then notice next, he says, famine, nakedness, peril. This word is basically danger. In fact, it's uh, interesting, so much so, and I would, and I keep referring you to 2 Corinthians for a reason, but it's interesting when you, when you take a look at this word peril, as it's translated, danger, that dangers can't separate us from the Lord and His love. And it's used nine times in Scripture. And eight of them occur in one verse. <laughs> he uses it here. And turn over to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 26. Paul uses it the eight other times referring to his own experience. Did he know what he's talking about when he mentioned these things? When he says, what can separate us? And then he mentions these things, he knows what he's speaking of. He says, verse 26, I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers in the city, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. He'd been traveling. He knew what it was like to have dangers from the rivers as he traveled, dangers from robbers. Dangers from his countrymen and from the Gentiles. Both the Jews and the Gentiles persecuted him. He knew about dangers in the inner city. Today there are Christians putting their life on the line in the inner city for the sake of Christ. He knew about dangers in the cities. He knew about dangers in the wilderness. We've got missionaries in our church facing diseases and problems of the wilderness and the jungle 
Why? Because they're following Christ and they're doing what he said to do and they're facing dangers. There's dangers in the city. There's dangers in the jungle. There's dangers on the sea. Paul knew about that. That was the form of transportation at the time. Uh, he'd been shipwrecked. He just mentioned that. He had dangers among false brethren. You know, one of the dangers that has been particularly troubling in our generation, in our century, has been the informers and the false brethren that creep their way in and throughout, particularly the communistic system that still oppresses all the people of China, for instance. And uh, though we're grateful that it's been shattered in, in what used to be the Soviet Union, there's still the dangers from false brethren and informants and that sort of thing that has harassed God's people. Do these things separate us from His love? No. What about sword? Look at the end of the verse. Sword speaks of death. Do you ever uh, wonder, would I be able, would I be ready to die for Christ? Nothing can separate you from His love, not even the sword. And by the way, don't waste a lot of emotional energy asking, would I be able to die for Christ? When I read the Scripture, I see both sides of it. And when I read the apostles, you know, I see Paul saying, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he was willing to die and ready to die and in fact did die. And so did several, of the, uh, most of the other apostles. But uh, when I read the Scripture, I don't like it when I hear Peter saying, I'd die for you, Lord. You don't have to spend time thinking about whether you're able to die for Him. And by the way, He hasn't asked you to die for Him just yet. He's asked you to what? Live for Him. The question is not, would I be willing to die in some hypothetical situation? The question is, am I living for Him? Because He has asked me to do that. I'm living for Him now, or am I not? That's what He's asked me to do, and that's what He's asked you to do. And He'll give us the grace to live and die for Him. But we can know that no matter what life brings, no matter what peril or danger or even sword, nothing separates us from the love of Christ. Just as it is written, verse 36, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul goes back and quotes the 44th Psalm. The psalmist, if you read the psalm, says, we've heard of how you used to do those great deliverances, Lord. So we're trusting in you. We're trusting in you. But it isn't working. We haven't had deliverance. We're facing trouble. We're being treated like sheep to be slaughtered. But our trust is still in you, Lord. Oh, deliver us. What a great psalm. What a great psalm. What a great perspective. And Paul brings it to bear by just picking that key quote out of it. We're being put to death all day long. We're considered a sheep to be slaughtered. The world looks at us and, and laughs. I know the world, unbelief doesn't understand this kind of trust. Unbelief says you'd love God when He's nice to you. When you get what you want, treat Him like a big gumball machine. But the believer's love, real love for Christ, born of His love for us, trusts Him and clings to Him even when we don't understand why He's letting things happen the way they are. And God is glorified. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. I know the world laughs at that kind of thing and treats it as weakness. But that's our faith, isn't it? Jesus Christ was considered 
as a sheep to be slaughtered. He didn't open his mouth. The 53rd of Isaiah says, when he was under attack, they taunted him and he didn't answer them. And he's our Savior. He's our example. And we are actually conquerors through him. Notice verse 37. In all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. You see, we conquer not by escaping these things, but we conquer through these things. Our Lord conquered by going to the cross. He was the Lamb of God who would be slaughtered for us. His glory throughout all the ages will be the Lamb who laid His life down for us, who shed His blood for us. We were singing last night around the piano and just singing some of the great songs of celebrating the victory that Christ had when He was slaughtered like a lamb, the Lamb of God who spilled His blood for me and you. That's how we overwhelmingly conquer You see, Job encourages us today, not because God spared him trouble, but because he went through the trouble with him. And Job found God to be who he says he is. Paul can encourage me and comfort me today, not because he had a life where God just miraculously moved things out of the way and kept things all cool. No, we find comfort and strength and we give glory to God in the life of Paul because... He knew what he was talking about when he said these things can't separate us from the love of God. You think of those who've really strengthened you, who've encouraged you, and it's not because they've had a life where everything came their way. It's because they've learned to trust God. And oftentimes it's those who've trusted God in real times of trouble who best speak of what it means to conquer. And as Paul says, overwhelmingly conquer, hyper victory, literally. I mean, it's just like he uses a term here that is is powerful. We overwhelmingly conquer when it looks to the world as if we're being conquered. Christ conquered as a lamb. We overwhelmingly conquer in the same way as we walk with him. You see, Jesus said, don't worry about those who take away that which can be taken away and kill you even. No, he said, don't worry about that. You see, we don't look at the things which are seen. We look at the things which are not seen, Paul writes. And there is great peace and comfort in that. And now notice how he closes, verse 38. I am convinced. I am convinced. He uses a very strong term. He wasn't just giving lip service to this. He had become convinced. And as I say, Those who've been through the trouble, they're the ones who speak with authority. Nobody can separate you from God's love, but when you've experienced that, you're able to speak it in a convincing way. And Paul says, I am convinced that neither death nor life. Christian, do you worry that maybe you'd die or maybe that you'd live? Maybe maybe you're thinking that somehow something you'd do while you live some sin or some circumstance would come that would separate you from the love of God. He says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, the angels are holy. They would not separate you from his love. Nor principalities, fallen angels, they can't. 
The holy angels won't, and the evil angels can't, nor things present, nor things to come. Satan is very subtle, and when he wants to think, tempt you that God has quit loving you or that you might be outside of God's love, he'll bring up things in the past, things in the present, things in the future. He'll use anything, won't he? But the Scripture says, not things present, not things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth. He lists everything he can think of. And then he says, in case I've forgotten anything, nor any other created thing, I'm convinced that nothing, and he lists everything, and then he says, nor any other created thing. And that's everything, isn't it? I mean, God is the creator, and we're his creation. Everything, all circumstances, all dynamics of life is something created, nor any other created thing. The God who causes all things, causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I want the world to know Jesus prayed. Oh, that the world might know that you sent me and you loved me and you've loved them with the same love you've loved me. This is God's purpose. Nothing can thwart it. God moved heaven and earth on your behalf, Christian. He did more than that. He gave His only Son. He did not spare His only begotten Son. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Oh, Lord, Father, Jesus prayed that the world might know that the love you have for me, you have for them. To be in Christ is to be in a position of no condemnation. To be in Christ is to be in that inseparable love condition forever. Today, tomorrow, not just when you're hearing a sermon on it, but when you're facing the troubles and the tribulations of life. Our understanding of it is up and down. It deepens as we grow, but our understanding of it is never what it ought to be. But the truth of it is unchanging. The Lord's love for us is absolutely inseparable. We cannot, nothing can get between us and God's purpose for us, His good for us, His bringing all things to bear for our own good. And one day, we'll see it with eyes. Now we see it with the eyes of faith. And we can say along with Paul, nothing can separate us. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Inseparable Love, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. 
It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. God is God, and He can do and will do whatever He pleases. He is the righteous one, and He always acts in righteousness. Man is sinful, Jew or Gentile alike. We deserve judgment. Hence, if God's going to save anyone, it's going to be by His sovereign grace. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs but on God who has mercy. And He is going to save His remnant from Israel. And He is going to save that remnant on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott will bring a close look at the next three chapters of Romans and a message titled, An Introduction to Romans 9, 10, and 11. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.